Hello and welcome to another episode of Castings the Fire Podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Bill. And we are back to another episode of Rings of Power, episode 7, The Eye. Now before we get to it, I'm going to say I have started a new job. And because of that, it may interfere with how quick I get episodes out because I cannot predict my week-to-week work schedule with it. Um, I'll still try to keep up with things, but... And the podcast will continue no matter what, but I can't make promises as to the speed or the schedule. So with that out of the way, on to the episode. Um, it's another time skip. One more time No, it's skip. No, no time skip. You're thinking of Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, see, we get them mixed up. Well, I do. Um, we are seeing massive... I just enraged all of our fan base just there. Anyway. Volcanic eruption aftermath, massive destruction. And almost nobody's dead somehow. Oh, a lot of people are dead, just not people. Main characters, I mean. Main characters are alive. Yeah. Like, the main characters survived somehow. Uh, Like, yeah, you thought Galadriel got blasted by a pyroclastic explosion? Nope, she's fine. Well, she was. Looked like she took one right to the face. I don't know if they're trying to play her up that much, but. I'm pretty sure that, uh... That even no elf would, uh, is that powerful? Yeah, I'm pretty sure... I don't think anybody in mortal form is really that powerful, except maybe... Man, maybe the Balrog could take it. Balrog or something, but... Like... G- Galadriel... She's powerful, but she's not that powerful. There's no reason why she should have uh, done that. Um, this, ma- this massive destruction... Um... You actually see a horse run by on fire. You see a person on fire. Um, yeah, one of the spokespeople for making the show has said they were going to avoid Game of Thrones levels of like sexuality and uh, provocative violence. Okay, they kept their word on the sexuality. There's been nothing but... You know, kissing and a little, you know, flirtation between married couples. But, yeah, that horse on fire scene, that's almost identical to a similar one in Thrones. Um, also, you- I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to go back to the fact that they're ta- there's lots of talk. Ta- <laughs> there's lots of violence. Some of it quite graphic, but there's also talk of violence. Like, talk of, like, you know, mass murder. <laughs> On both sides and stuff like that. And I feel like... But again, that's the way our society has always kind of been. It's just like... That amount of violence is more acceptable than a certain amount of sex. Which, you know... I'm I'm arguing that the... That the... Core levels of... For example, victims of the volcano get to almost the same level. Yeah. Um, I I know that uh, the Lord of the Rings fan base since likes to be like, no, we don't have certain things in this world. <laughs> so yes, horse runs by literally on fire. Guy on fire. A lot of people are dead, but miraculously, none of them are main characters that we're following. Miraculously. And... (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. A little bit of outside noise from uh, another phone. So, it cuts from this scene of destruction and, like, choking amounts of ash everywhere to just some happy Harfoots singing and traveling through a pleasant, sparse woodland. They're singing a song about going after snails, and it's all just pleasant. And then they come upon volcanic damage. Yep. So a, a area of woodlands that's been like burned out, apples reduced and that to ash on the trees. Them out, of yeah, it does. Now, I don't know exactly how far 
fires could be from a volcanic eruption. I know ash goes a long way. Um, like, the ash could be many, many miles away and be causing haze in the atmosphere. But actual fire from that, I don't know. That depends. And I'm not sure how far the Harfords are. I mean, I thought the Harfords oh, oh. were a lot further north. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know where they were exactly and how much progress they made. I kind of thought they just, it implied that they made a lot of progress. Granted, they're small, so you well, know, it would be a lot harder for them. I thought the implication know. is that they're eventually making their way to the Shire and Bree area, which is to the northwest. Okay, and so Mordor is far to the southeast, yeah, so. and I thought they maybe were in like the Anduin kind of area. Well, wherever, however, there's volcanic damage, not a whole lot, but the hobbits, they're freaked out by that. For some reason, they don't turn back or go around it. Like, were you the one who compared them to herd animals? Yeah. Like, oh, not our migration route. We're going to keep going this way anyway. I also kind of was, like, thinking that they would wind up in the Shire, but eventually, like, maybe, like, a couple seasons from now or something, so... I never really thought about where they were going specifically. I just kind of thought that they could have been going in any direction. I don't know. Maybe you're right. Um. Um, In case there was any question about the fire coming from that volcano as opposed to some other reason things could have been on fire... um, Sadok talks of mountains that spit fire and sleep for hundreds of years to awaken when a new evil has arisen. Awaken... Volcanoes are yeah. evil, gotcha. Now, you know, there's a bit of science there. You know, volcanoes often, you know, they go dormant for a very long time and sometimes you even think it's extinct and then it sets off again like Mount St. Helens. Yeah, and... But they're not evil. They're, they're not just, evil. It's, it's they, a... People consider them evil because they'll build around them and then that'll happen. But And also, as Sarah said, their effects can actually be quite far-ranging. But, yeah, that's just... Uh, but it but is in the case of Middle-Earth, yeah. you know, it's... It's supposed to be the big volcano, I guess. It, it's implied that Sauron's actions are somehow tied to yeah, Mount it, Doom. It, it is meant to be, so... Um, And I ultimately don't know whether Middle-earth contains any other volcanoes. I would think it would somewhere. Yeah, but what is it? Tolkien has not always known for geography, but so he doesn't really... Uh, Well, they didn't really explore... He didn't really write all that much about uh, Middle-earth beyond the actual region where the stories are taking place. We don't fully know. Well, we get barely anything about Harad, for instance, and whatever's beyond that. Now, there's little food with what the hobbits have with them. It's like implied that they're really facing starvation now. That's how I took that. But, and yet they don't turn back or go around either, so... And next you see the stranger speaking to a burned-out tree. Oh, and then... Well... And as to what he's saying, well, Sadok says it's something trees can understand. And Malva, um, uh, if I didn't explain this properly before, the kind of busybody hobbit woman who thinks that um, certain hobbits should be uh, left behind. Her name is Malva Meadowgrass. Malva being the scientific name for mallow, well, a plant. that he was talking? Oh. No, uh, it, the plant with the orange flowers that grows in okay, kind of... Okay, so, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, anyway, Malva says, you know, trees don't talk, Sadok. And then Sadok... Trees don't talk, and Sadok says, well, some trees do. Now, this is a wondering if this is a reference to Ents. I bet it is. I think it is, too. I mean, come on, you can't have a Middle-Earth uh, 
story where that ends. Come on. I mean, you can, but it's not. I mean, Hobbit had didn't have them, but come on, you know. Like, I feel like this, since they're trying to do big and be very large with their world building, they're going to have to have ends for this. Um, then the bark of the tree splits and a branch falls on some Harfords who aren't really hurt by it, but it scares them and makes them, you know, even more freaked out by the stranger. Um, next you move to seeing, um, a meeting between the elves and the dwarves, and the elves are proposing that in, in exchange for access to the mythal mines, the elves will o- offer the dwarves game, grains, and timber from the sacred elder forest of Eriador for the next five centuries. Which, you know, that's a pretty big thing. Now, it's actually, it's... It's a thing in Tolkien canon that dwarves do not really produce their own food. They, I don't know if the implication is never, but um, yeah, they tend to get their food in trade with others. Like, okay, you're a you're a human and you grow food. I'll, we'll you know sell you some good dwarven metalwork for you know food. And that's how the economy works. Yep. So this is a really big proposal. Like, we're going to give you food and wood from our sacred forests for a whole 500 years for access to these mines. And the dwarves, speaking in dwarvish, um, say that's quite a promise if it is kept. And Elrond understood them. And he says I've never broken a promise. Yeah, he always keeps his promises. Yeah. Now, it would be rare for anybody who is not a dwarf to speak dwarvish. They're very secretive about teaching it to anyone else. And I'm sure a lot in battle have heard Baruch Kazad and... Yeah, they're all about that sort of thing. Um, Baruch Kazad meaning axes of the dwarves. And, yeah, Durin is like, well, why would we trust an elf? And Elrond says, you shouldn't, but you can trust me. I'm Elrond, half-elven, and I can see in the elves what they cannot see. Now, that's interesting. Is he saying that, you're right, you shouldn't trust elves, but I'm only half-elven? He's playing up his human side and saying that there's more than one perspective. I mean, that's a very, uh, sort of a Mr. Spockish thing to do. Uh, yes, that's right. I made a Star Trek reference. An original series one, no less. Have at me. And, you know, ask... Ask the king for help, and, for help, and the dwarf king to his son. Um, I should... Yeah... Both the king and his son are named Durin, and I don't want to make it confusing. They're both Durin. You know, he talks about when Auli created them of fire and stone, and the stone in them longs for the eternal, but the fire in them for truth that all things must be consumed, and that time has come for the elves. And um, Durin, you know, the younger says, my friend is drowning, would you have me swat his hand away? And, um, the king says, yeah, the fate of the elves was decided by wiser minds than ours, and interfering with them might bring on destruction on the dwarven kingdom and maybe even on all of Middle-earth. So, he's seeing this as an act of the Velar or maybe of God, and mm-hmm. not something that they're meant to interfere with. And he also speaks of the dangers of mining so deep. Meanwhile, Dissa is furious with the king. Uh, the king's decision wants to mine anyway, prove it can be done safely, so the king will be forced to change his mind. 
And Durin disagrees because he doesn't want his kids to get the lesson that a king's will you know, doesn't matter, as he puts it, is dross to throw aside. And Dissa uh, apologizes for saying that Durin's father has lice in his beard. Um, doesn't like it when uh, he, he slag on her, on her mother. And well, Durin says, well, in your mother's case, she does have lice in her. And then it cuts off. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's joking, I think. <sighs> Durin invites Elrond for dinner. But Elrond says he has to inform Gilgalad that there will soon no longer be a... That he will soon no longer be king, for there will no longer be Lyndon. Yeah. And um, Durin says, so this is goodbye then. And Elrond, he says, we know not say goodbye, we say, and then Durin finishes for him, Nemery. Which means more than goodbye, it... It means go, go toward goodness. Now... Goodbye means that. I mean, it's kind of become kind of a pat thing to, to people say, go. But goodbye it does mean go a, toward goodness. It means you are a, having a goodbye. <laughs> you're buying. You're going by. You, it is good. Anyway. Um, he returns the mythical trunk to Durin, and Durin looks like he's gonna cry. Um, there's also this blighted-looking leaf on the table, and it, the leaf is restored by the mithril chunk being close to it. Well, meaning there's something, too, that the mithril has a power to uh, against what's going on. Which, yeah, that's not Tolkien canon. It's a really nice medal for... Good armor that's lightweight, but won't be damaged if it's hit by a weapon, and it looks pretty. It doesn't have otherwise magical properties, as far as we know. Um, next, you see Theo and Galadriel, and they're making their way through the ash in the ruined forest area. And Theo says, oh, why did they do it? Um, and Galadriel says, to make it their home, a land of shadow. Now, I'm kind of iffy on that. I mean, yeah, orcs don't like light. But, yes, orcs can survive some really you know, bad conditions, but that doesn't mean they actually want to live in those bad conditions. Like, yeah, they can drink pretty gross water, they can eat some very uh, questionable food, but that doesn't mean they prefer that. That doesn't mean they want to be breathing volcanic ash. That doesn't... No, they, they, they're not going to do that. They actually need to... Uh, <laughs> we discussed this before. They need to actually eat and drink. They can't just uh, survive like with nothing. Like, yeah, they might be able to eat like almost like basically like bacteria poison food or they may be able to drink like filthy water but they have to have food and water like they can't just have like ash and nothing like yeah anyway and i don't know to what degree canon mordor is i mean yes it's obviously going to be affected by the active volcano that's there but I don't think all parts of Mordor are equally affected by it. They've got, you know, some dry land farming, like, irrigated lands where they're growing food or forcing others to grow food for them. Yeah. I think that most of the volcanic destructed area is the plain of Gorgoroth, more than the other parts of Mordor. Really? But it's kind of an on-the-nose thing. Land, a land of shadow, Mordor is... The shadow land, that's what it means. More shadow door land. Yeah, okay, I gotcha. No, that's... That is why you're here. That, it's one of... You're not only the host, you're the person that can actually understand the, uh... 
the, the lingua, which a I certain degree of it, it, and I can to an extent, but not like the actual like Elvish or Dwarvish or a lot of the other languages he puts in because he has he puts all sorts of and, you know it's one of those like cool linguistic facts about him. He's very skilled at that. But again, that's like that whole thing where it's like, how much of this are they even taking from him? Because it's like they're using the notes. But they're kind of. Oh, that's it. They don't have the rights to the Silmarillion, but, but they do but, have the rights to Lord of the but Rings. It makes me wonder why they are not. Uh, what? Why they're? Why they're not uh, making them? Like again, they're changing certain things in weird ways, and I think it's because they got it from the movies more than anything. And I don't know. Who knows? Anyway. So that's it. They got the rights to Lord of the Rings so they can take stuff from the appendices, but they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion itself. But they do... They are doing a good job overall, just uh, <laughs> making just some occasional confusing decisions. Um, um, yeah, you see refugees from the human village traveling. Isildur is leading his injured horse, the same horse that uh, had an orc injury, which... Looks like it's healing. Theo thinks that his friends are dead. And Galadriel thinks the survivors will be at a certain location, so they're heading toward it. Now, as I said, none of the characters that were, you know, following it all are dead. You know, probably some of Theo's friends are dead. Maybe people we don't know the name of, but... But we're, we're not sure, as, as we said. As I wonder we, what happened with Baldrig. Yeah. The guy who started the um, eruption in the first place. Yeah. Well, I assume he was just vaporized, basically. But I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he'll come back as some sort of, like, dark uh, entity. And you know, Galadriel says to be careful because the orcs can move in daylight now. Um, I guess from the volcanic yeah, ash obscuring. Yeah, that's the idea. That, well, you know what? Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Maybe they're trying. I to think just... that's what they're trying to where they're trying to go with it. Well, but... I think they're trying to go with it where it's like the volcano blanketed all of Middle Earth, and therefore that's what gives orcs the ability. So now the light just bothers them, but they actually are shielded by this... But it didn't shroud. go over all of Middle-earth. Well, I don't know. Did it or not? Cause there's Harfords that not so... F- there's Harfords walking under open sunshine and yeah, not... Yeah, but, but if it's all in the atmosphere, it's like the idea is that it contaminated every single... It was so big that it can... I don't know, but yeah... The Harfords atmosphere looked fine. Yeah, but it wouldn't look fine. It would just... It would look fine. It would just be like... A little trace amounts of it. Something like that. That can happen. But there is um, so something too in the main Lord of the Rings, um, specifically in the book, there was some heavy volcanic ash coming up from Mount Doom right before, you know, when the war was brewing. And so the implication was it was letting the orcs march under conditions that they wouldn't have. Yeah. And she also, she says that when she was his age, there were no orcs. Now, when she was his age, how many hundreds well, like, of... I was going to say, wasn't that, like, the beginning of, like, all of that? Yeah, so... and, like, in the beginning, there were no orcs. There were no humans, either. <laughs> it was sweet. <laughs> uh, he asks her how many orcs she has killed. Jesus, many. And he's yeah, like, good. Just many. Um, and she says, I wouldn't use such words. It darkens the heart to call dark deeds good. It gives evil a place to thrive inside us. She was the one talking about murdering every single yeah, one. Yeah. So. Like, maybe she took it a bit to heart that, yeah, uh, that Adar said she'd make a good Morgoth successor. Yeah, maybe. Um, every war is fought without and within... And of that, every soldier must be mindful. Even I, even you. And Theo's like, am I a soldier then? And she says, perhaps we can make one of you and gives Theo a sword. 
Yeah, that's right. And she's like, they like, she acknowledges him as like an actual uh, fighter and all that. And, you know, it was like a sort of a cool moment because it was like a level up for him. Um, With the other refugees, it seems that Muriel has been blinded in the blast. I mean, her face and her eyes look fine, but yeah, she's asking, like, oh, are we out of it yet? And showing that she can't actually see what her surroundings are. Now, there's nothing, you know, from the from either book to suggest something like that happened with Muriel, so I don't know where they're going with this. Yeah. Um, next, we move to the Harfits again, and Sadok is telling the stranger to go through Greenwood the Great and find human settlements on the other side to help him and help him find his stars. <coughs> so here's the thing. Greenwood the Great is Mirkwood, or it was what became Mirkwood when, you know, the shadow went over it from the necromancer, you know, much later. Yep. But it's still Greenwood the Great. It's a massive, um, it's a massive forest, you know, without so much in the way of water source to drink from, and it's going to have dangerous wild beasts in it, and you're gonna have to either carry your own food or hunt your own food. But yeah, tell this, uh, guy to just walk right through it. And then if he finds the human settlement on the other side, what makes him think the humans are going to react kindly to, as far as they can tell, a crazy muddled guy going on about the stars... Yeah. I mean, does that does that sound like it would go over so well to some uh, medieval humans? Um, probably not. He'd probably be... But then again, it's Middle Earth. Who knows? Maybe they would just take pity on him and call him a residential lunatic and he didn't have to... He'd have to figure out how to deal with that. But yeah, in a lot of societies, they probably would have just been like, oh, we'll either send him on his way or kill him. The Harfords haven't seen these stars since their ancestors lived in parts unknown over a thousand years ago. And nobody notices this, but you see on the camera the burned tree that the stranger was talking to now has a tiny green sprout growing out of it and a little yellow flower out of that green sprout. Now, the tree was an apple tree. The sprout was most definitely not an apple blossom. I think it's the Eleanor flower from the Elvish uh, areas. Yeah, and it sprouted out, and that's a huge deal. Because... Um, Nori offers him an apple, and I think it, I thought it may have been her last. Um, I thought it was her last. Yeah. Um, Nori regrets investigating that fallen star, um, because of the trouble that came on the Harfoots, and she says, I'm just a Harfoot, that's all I'll ever be. Now, she doesn't say this to the stranger. She says this to her family. She never says anything to the stranger to make you know, him think she, she you know, regrets anything. Um, next, we're back to Theo and Galadriel. And Theo asks her if she ever lost close kin. And, uh, she, yeah, she says her brother Finrod, who we already know about, he's the guy who, um, doesn't understand how physics work and got killed by servants of Sauron or in book canon a werewolf. But also her husband, Caliborn, um, reminisces about how they met as she was dancing in flowers. Oh, does every elvish romance start this way with the dancing in the flowers part? That's the idea. Uh, and how he left for war that seemed far away and his armor didn't fit. 
And she never saw him again. Now that's... I don't know where they're going with this, because in Lord of the Rings, Celeborn is definitely alive. He's there, kind of... He, he's alive, we know that he's alive. Now, they're, <laughs> or they're married at this point, right? Yeah, they're married at this point. And so she probably... The idea is that we think that she thinks he's dead. But he's not? Like... Well, you were the one that I remember suggested that. I think that makes sense. <laughs> and then, of course, once that happens... She'll be like, of course she's going to go back to him because that's how elves are. They like, they're like lovebirds. They mate for life and they go insane otherwise. Uh, so anyway, that's my guess. But I don't know. I mean, it sounded plausible when you said it. Um... Theo takes responsibility for what happened with the volcano because he gave the enemy the sword. And well, she says that the, the wise you know, know what is in people's hearts and that, you know, It wasn't in. It wasn't in Theo's heart to. You know, cause. Cause this. And once again, the wise, I think she means, you know, the Valar. So. Oh, the higher beings won't judge him. Um, do not put the burden of the blame upon yourself. You may find it difficult to put it down, and I think she's uh, referring to herself a bit there. And Theo asks how he can let it go. And uh, she says, there are powers beyond darkness at work in this world. Perhaps we have little choice but to trust to their designs and surrender our own. Which kind of brings to mind certain real life sayings, like when people say, let go and let God. Uh, I don't know what other sayings are similar, but it sounds... I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's your it, territory more. <laughs> yeah, it feels like one of those kind of, like they, like they middle-earthified a saying like that. Yeah, uh, just in my opinion. What was the exact saying again? Um, there are powers beyond darkness at work in this world. Perhaps we have little choice but to trust to their designs and surrender our own. Okay, yeah, I have never heard that uh, one, but I don't know. And Theo says, my home is gone. Where's the design in that? I... And she says, I do not yet see it. And then you see orcs passing by. And they seem to smell something. But then they change their minds and say they just smell the ashes. So, yeah, the... The... Where's the design in that? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to add personal religious statements to this, but yeah, there are, there are times where I've certainly felt uh, similar questions. Yeah, I wonder. Um, next you see Durin digging with Elrond, and... Oh yeah, this is Yeah, where, there's rocks... This is where things happen. There's rocks are rumbling because they didn't have time to settle. Yeah. And Elrond claims he lost the rock-splitting contest on purpose. It. He said he threw it, and then to which, uh... 
elf lies. Yeah, exactly. That was the response. He was winded. Um, yeah, you're dwarvish for an elf. You're elvish for a dwarf. Because that's that's what their friendship's like. It's yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> no, I, I do I do like their uh, their bromance at the same time. I think the average dwarf would find it kind of insulting to be called elvish. Well, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Well, <laughs> this is what happened. Like you're you're el you're dwarvish for an elf. An elf would be like, yeah, whatever. And you see, you're you're elvish for a dwarf. The dwarf would just be like, you take that. <laughs> like, it would just be a completely <laughs> uneven reaction. Uh, so. And next thing, Duran is talking about secret dwarf names that are shared only with family. Uh, that's that's canon. Dwarfs have the names that you hear of dwarves, you know, Gimli, Thorin. And those are the names that dwarves use around non-dwarfs, but they have... Their own names. Their own names in Dwarvish, they and they don't share them. Only with dwarves that they're related to, specifically. With the they? exception of the petty dwarves, who just yeah. use them openly. but Well, yeah, the petty dwarves were... We'll, we'll get to that one of these days. Uh, they are, are presumably different. fully extinct at this point. Yeah, unfortunately, they're dead. And it's unfortunate, because I actually like them like better than I think any other... Uh, species in Middle Earth, like, up there, like, they, but we'll get to them <laughs> And, so, yeah, it sounds like he's a, thinking of telling Elrond his secret dwarven name. Oh, and I think those secret dwarven names get their share of, like, fan fiction treatment, like, oh, I'm in love with you, here's my secret dwarven name. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Elrond just says to save it. So the secret dwarven name does not come out. Um, and then Durin, uh, as he continues to dig, he finds a lot of mithril. Just a big yeah, vein of it. Huge amount of it. And there's uh, disagreement over Oh, the disagreement comes later. But yeah, anyway, but yeah. It's... The king finds out he's very angry. That he's been disobeyed like this, and he orders Elrond to uh, seize the elf. Elrond's gonna be, you know, thrown out of the kingdom. Yep. Um, he still has his uh, mithril chunk. Yes, he does. Um. And uh, Durin's father, the king, is. Um, he's talking about when Durin was a little baby, and apparently he was born with some kind of respiratory problem, and he wasn't expected to live. And, uh, his dad stayed up with him and held his head up and stuff, and... Um, while that was happening, he was looking at his son's face, which was apparently beardless. He says, tiny naked face. Yeah, I'm being, I'm harp, I'm harping on this, but they're practically born with beards in Tolkien. Well, that's the thing, and that's thinking that I think is a legit, and it's funny, because a lot of people are finding it a legit criticism, is that the women should be bearded, the baby should be bearded. Like, the idea is that they are, they have a beard, all of them. Yes. From the day they are born until the day they die, unless they shave it and shame, which does that happen ever? Um, shave. Basically, if a dwarf has been shaven, that is a thing that would shame them, and yeah. it it would be like a massive indignant indignity, like die well, of I, shame, kinda. Well, I presume that a dwarf's beard would grow back so quickly, like it'd be like, like. Yeah, a week maybe, and it's just like. I'd be watching the live action Hobbit, and I'm like, did Keeley's beard get even shorter from (laughs) scene to scene? Uh, Yeah, so yeah, there's some discrepancies. (laughs) Well, while this was happening, he had a vision of his son as a mighty gray bearded king, and he went to his mother and says, "Your son's gonna live." Um, and I'm not sure where he was going you know, with this, but well, clearly Durin did live, and you know, Durin's listening to this whole story. Is why do you try to stop my every ambition that doesn't match yours? And yeah, he's like, iron must be tempered, and 
Durin says Elrond is like a brother from the same womb, and that makes his dad really, really angry. Really, really pissed, and this is what he does. Yeah, they both accuse each other of betraying their kind, and yeah, he seems to disown Durin as an heir. He takes he his takes like his necklace, chain yeah, and throws it on the ground. No, but when Durin then actually makes a move, starts picking it up, and he says, "Leave it. It's no longer yours." Whoa. And those words. So. Um, next thing, the Harfoots, back to the Harfoots, and they're singing their snailing song, and Poppy is eating apples, and Nori's like, no, you gotta, you have to save food. Poppy says, look, it's growing all around. And sure enough, the burned land has been fully restored by the stranger's magic, and not only restored, but there's fruit growing everywhere. So everybody's... Joyful, and they're gathering fruit, and they're talking about the things they're gonna make with that fruit, and um, Nori is singing some other song by a stream. Didn't get enough of it to catch what it was about, and she sees a big footprint in the mud. Very big, human-sized, with a boot footprint. And she drops her bucket and it floats away. Yeah, she like drops it in terror and I presume run away. And I'm like, that. yeah, that's a quality bucket. They probably worked hard making that. Yeah, they probably, <laughs> she's probably like, no, my bucket later on. And then these um, priestess types in white and carrying a, a staff with, I guess you could say it as maybe a really stylized eye or maybe it's just kind of a round design, but I think that's what it's meant to be. And they pick the flower that sprouted. Yeah, yeah, you ruined his flower. And um, Nori sees them and she realizes they're up to no good. And so she sends them in the wrong direction after the stranger. So the wrong way so they won't get him. And there's some kind of altercation between them and the Harfoots and Largo... Know, threatens them. You harm a hair on her foot and uh, he's got a, a torch and um, one of the priestesses puts out the torch and then takes the fire and then kind of blows the sparks and they burn down the whole caravan. Yep. It just it burns down the caravan, burns down their shelters. That's basically a total disaster for them. Now, you, like imagine if you like you know your neighborhood basically. <laughs> Hey. Now, all, now all three of them are women. Now, that would seem to disprove the their Sauron theory, but Except Sauron so. is a shapeshifter. Yeah, he could theoretically take the form of a woman. Like He, he took the f- form of a werewolf, turning into um, a f- woman as opposed to a man, then, like nothing in comparison, yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's, he, he tends to be able to take any sort of humanoid form, and probably more than that. I mean, the werewolf's not humanoid, so... Well, is it... Tolkien werewolves look like wolves. wolves. They look like bigger wolves? Okay. They're like a... Giant wolf. Gotcha. (laughs) No, I I always... That's the thing. There's so many different ways people depict werewolves in literature. It's not just like... People always think of the the hunched-over humanoid, but... Well, Tolkien werewolves think like a large, possessed wolf. Nothing humanoid about them. No shape-shifting. Yeah. Unless the Sauron, really. Yeah, exactly. Which Sauron, of course, has that his island of werewolves. Uh, we always talk about. <laughs> I'm like Sauron is like a teenage girl. He loves Pretty vampires much. and werewolves and jewelry. Much. He just he, exactly. He just uh, he, put, he, put, he puts them on his uh, his own little island, and he has his own weird little uh, thing going on. Anyway. Yes. So anyway, they are probably not Sauron, but you never know. You never know, and agents of Sauron. Yeah, it's also canon that both Sauron and Morgoth had people who liked to worship them, and so that could be a thing. Um, They remind me of okay. I played Lord of the Rings Online, which is a. game you can download. Yeah, I'm plugging it. something about a video game reference. Let's hear this. Well, 
There are these um, priests and priestesses of the Angmarim, and the way they're depicted reminds me a lot of what they showed in this. Now, were those made up for the game? Or they they were made up the- for the game. Okay, well, there you go. Maybe. And the, yeah. some of them had various powers. I don't remember any specifically having a fire-related power. They were annoying to fight if you weren't high enough level to defeat them easily. They'd summon things, and um, I think one of them had kind of like a blood drain thing, and that, like, saps your health while you're fighting. But yeah, they had on these robes, and I personally think that this game has um, influenced some film depictions of Middle-Earth that came around later. Uh, maybe there's a connection here and maybe there isn't. Um, back to the Numenorean camp. Beric the horse is flighty and freaked out and won't listen to anyone. They take off his halter and release him and he gallops away and I don't know what the deal with that is. I, I just assume he's not coming back but who knows. Maybe is he sad because he's not with Isildur at that moment and is he going to go and find him yeah, or maybe. is he somehow going to be connected with Shadowfax? Like, well that's what I was wondering if he's going to somehow be connected with Shadowfax but I don't know I think the other one might be more likely like he's just going to find It very much him. it recalls the scene with um Oh, what was that horse's name? The the one that Aragorn rides and how they like release him. He's seen too much of war, and then he goes and finds Aragorn oh, after yeah, he fell off the, the horse's name. That's that's your job. That is my job to remember the names. Uh, it's okay. And I'll and I'll remember the horse's name like after this is done and be like, yeah. no, why didn't we'll, I? We'll, we'll put it in the notes anyway. <laughs> I don't want to have to make a special note about that, but... Well, okay. <laughs> Come on, what was that horse's name? Hey, you've got your phone. Could you uh, look that up real quick for me? What Aragorn's was... horse. Hold on, I'll, I'll do it. What is she name? Aragorn's horse. What's Aragorn's horse's it. name? Oh. <laughs> I'd get it if my phone... Aragorn's horse... My Middle Earth knowledge, I've slipped right. something Brago, in. Brago. Brago, that's it. Brago. I assume that's pronounced correctly. Brago. <laughs> I'm like, Beric the Horse. Like, like Beric Dondarrion from Game of Thrones? Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Beric is a Tolkien name because... Uh, Game of Thrones uses some Tolkien names with maybe something spelled a little differently, or sometimes not. Uh, they had a King Sauron with the Iron Islanders, so, yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> well, anyway, after this horse gallops away... Elendil is regretting that he took Galadriel on board at all. Yeah. You know, with it all leading to this. And you see wounded men in a hospital dwelling. Oh, really yeah. horrific with burns horrific. and missing limbs. And yeah, it's it's really terrible. And again, none of the main characters get this, of course. Which, again, I understand. They're, they're really trying to establish themselves. Now, for a moment, they show a woman's body that has been covered with I, a blanket. Actually, one of the main characters does get something, which we're going to come to. Uh, and you th- your base, both Theo and the audience is led to believe that they are looking at Bronwyn's remains, but then... It had to have been somebody else because Bronwyn comes up right behind him with no additional injuries beyond what she took in the battle. And, you know, she reunites with Theo and Arondir is there too. Um, Queen Muriel is blindfolded now. And they are um, planning to move on except for a garrison left behind for the wounded. 
And Galadriel is taking the fault that they are not in Numenor. And uh, Muriel says, do not spend your pity on me, elf. Save it for our enemies, for they do not know what they have and begun. She, she's blind. She's blind. She's blinded by this. So if something did happen to her, it's, of course, you know, it's it's a major, major thing. Major change for her. We're going to see what happened. I kind of hope that, like, we develop her, but in a cooler way. Like, I don't want her to become, like, just dark or something just because she became blind. Yeah, or you know what I mean. Like, don't want. I don't think it's because she became blind. No, No, she's not evil. Yeah, no, I know. Well, Uh, we know what happens. Well, we won't get into what happens. We know that certain things are coming that we don't know what's going to. Well, I've already said that um, in the book. um, Farazon is evil, and Muriel is. She's not in on the evil, but she, does she doesn't have... She's not in a position to truly prevent it because she's not... Exactly. So we know that, like, some <laughs> of some things are coming. I hope that... I guess we'll see what happens with this, but I, I'm hoping, though, that they, like, make it interesting in a lot of ways and multi-layered, which I'm sure they could. So... I think this Muriel has more uh, agency of her own than the book Muriel does. Okay, well, there you go. See, you're you're more familiar with that. With the book, Muriel, I get the impression it's the whole medieval. She's a woman. She's forced to marry this guy, and there's not really much she can do uh, about. Okay. Well, yeah, that's. And I'm not. I'm not fully convinced that they even are married in the in this. Well, yeah, we had that discussion. Because you said yeah, they are, they're cousins. They're married. Well, yeah, but that happens. That happened, but maybe they're trying to not go that way anyway. Like, yeah, my my cousin husband, my husband, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think, uh, I think they're trying to avoid that with Muriel. <laughs> well, yeah, she is going to... She's going to sail on the next tide, but they're going to return, and uh, the elves will come too. So this is, I guess, they're going to attack the forces of Sauron again. Um, you see Harfoot, fire aftermath. And, yeah, their whole, everything has been destroyed, and Harfoot life, you know, revolves around having their little caravan wagons. Yeah, so this is like a major paradigm shift for them, and not in a good way, a very bad way. And, yeah, um, Largos is there, they won't just, they won't just weep, they're true to each other, and they will face it with hearts even bigger than our feet. Come on, they gotta have feet somehow in their yeah. sayings. Um, we keep walking. And we're Harfoots. And um, Nori and Poppy will go to looking for the stranger to warn him. And um, yeah, they're the mom is going to go too, and um, Malva, she says that the girls were right all along, so she's you know sorry for how she treated them, and you know, they they were in the right. And Sadok is going to go to help them too, so I don't know whether they implication is I guess all of the hobbits are going to go go following the stranger or at least you know a a party to help um Arondir and Bronwyn are going to head for the old Numenorean colon, colony Pelargir now that's located in southern Gondor by the time of Lord of the Rings Halbrand is wounded. He has a stomach wound which has already become infected and he has been traveling and they're like, he needs elvish medicine and I'm like, yeah, if he's hurt there and they don't have like, modern antibiotics he needs he needs magic. I mean, yeah. he's gonna die. 
He he will die otherwise. Um, they're gonna gather provisions and healers, and he walks out and gets on his horse, not looking like a guy who's been hurt as bad as he has. Like a bit unrealistic there, and there's. Shannon, strength to the king and strength to the Southlands, and Galadriel confirms giving her sword to Theo. Um, Dissa, and with the dwarf, she thinks the king is too uh, old and close-minded, and she wants Durin to hold to his own birthright, and they should mind the mythful for themselves, and they'll. They'll rule the Dwarven Kingdom and uh, all Dwarven Kingdoms. And uh, they kiss. Now that... That's... This you, is something that yeah, you saw in the fan community. Like, well, oh, they made her evil. Oh, yeah, a few people were... Well, no, it was trolling, I think. I'm almost certain it was. But there are people that were sort of... Uh, there's a couple people saying just, you know... How that was ambitious, and you know it is, but that's perfectly within dwarvish, uh, like oh, dwarvish a... culture. I mean, to be fair, it's absolutely fair, especially, um, uh, you know, the king disowned his son, arguably, or at least dis made him not the heir necessarily. Yeah, I guess he's still his son, but he's not necessarily the heir. He took away his title. So that's sort of the first insult, and it's arguably a bigger insult, because she's at least say, doing something straight up, not like dishonoring him or anything, just saying, oh, well, no, we're just going to take it for ourselves, and we're going to be better than you. You can still be king, but you'll be king of a very little thing, and we'll end up ruling everything. So it's just sort of an honest... So, and again, it's ambitious, but... And all of this is within the realm of, I guess, dwarvish culture. Just, uh, yeah. Um, like, oh no, a dwarf deal. wants to acquire treasure and uh, a ambition and hold on to their um, rights. Oh no, like, no, that's pretty much, yeah, Thorne would have done that. Uh, yeah, and he would have done that without any influence of anything. And... Um, while this is happening, the king goes and he throws that leaf into the chasm. And when it hits the bottom, it bursts into flames and, and a Balrog awakes. And I'm a little bit disappointed that they very clearly just used the, re the, re the movie animation for the Balrog. But it is a And Balrog, it's the same... So I think it's the same Balrog. It is the same And Balrog, I don't think that's quite... That doesn't make sense, though, as much. It, like, it? yeah, the Balrog. It's like the the dwarves dug too greedily and too deep. I don't. They just found that mythful. I think that they'd been mining mythful a long time when they woke the Balrog up and had some, you know, trade in mythful going. And it's like they're bypassing that. Yeah. Uh, next, you see. Oh yeah, I forgot this part. They're like, together we are going to dig, says Dissa. <gasps> yeah. And I just think of this song. I'm a dwarf and I'm uh, digging they're gonna a dig hole. They're going to diggy diggy hole. <laughs> yes. Diggy diggy hole. Anyway. Uh, um, back to the volcanic wreckage area. There's Adar in that wreckage. And the, the orcs are hailing Adar, Lord of the Southlands. And he's like, oh, that name no longer exists. And they're like, Adar. Adar, Adar, and they uh, continue on their way through the with the volcanic dust obscuring. Adar, yeah, daddy, <laughs> daddy, daddy. Now you're just chanting Adar, Adar, and uh, on the screen they have the word Southlands, and the letters change to Mordor. I thought that was kind of cheesy, but you liked it. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool looking, but I don't know. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I guess they've confirmed uh, this is Mordor now, and this is how it started. And you know, regular normal people lived here before, but not anymore. Yeah. And 
We are one episode away from the end of the first season, and we have still not gotten actual confirmation on who is Sauron, but that looked pretty suspicious. It looked very suspicious. Also, um, I think that Sarah is right that they're not going to reveal until the last minute. I actually challenged her on that and said, ah, no, they're going to reveal it more sooner than that. But now it's looking like they're not. I think they're going to reveal Sauron in the last ten minutes of episode eight. Yeah, so... And, you know, that, of course, will guarantee the uh, next season and people will watch it. And, uh, eh, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Well, the real Sauron, please stand up. I will say this. I actually like a lot of the characters. I may be criticizing things, but I actually like all the way to a lot of the characters in this. Uh... I, I think that uh, that that that's one of the cooler things about this. It's sort of weird some of the liberties they take, though. But it's at least at least it's interesting to watch. So. Well, that's it. We will be, of course, doing the final episode when it comes out, and we will also be continuing to do House of the Dragon. We've started the book, The Fellowship of the Ring. That's going to go a bit slower, but we're doing that. And we'll continue to do Game of Thrones. Um, thank you for listening to Cast Into the Fire podcast, and good night. Good night.